God. Well, amen. Uh, it is good to gather together. It's good to see Marjorie tonight. Well, praise the Lord. We're always praying for you, and it's so good to see you and that you're continuing on to serve the Lord. We are so thankful for you, Marjorie. You're certainly, again, a part of our family here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we praise God for your testimony, for your perseverance and your faith. We know the last few years especially have been tough, and uh, we're so really, really thankful for you and thankful that we gather uh, in the name of the Lord. Uh, the other day, I would I, I don't know what I was doing, but I was watching television and one of these infomercials uh, come on. And you know the advertising industry. The advertising industry is always getting, trying to get you to buy their product. And the, and the way that they get you to buy the product is they always make promises. You know, and so if you take this supplement, this was a great one. If you take this supplement and you exercise five times a week and you eat a healthy diet, you'll lose weight. And I, and I thought, yeah, you're going to lose weight, you know, regardless if you would take the supplement or not. Uh, but they're trying to make a promise, aren't they? They're trying to get you to buy their uh, product. Well, one of my fav uh, favorite one, and it's for men, if you take the supplement, if you take this pill, you know, all of a sudden you're going to grow a healthy head of hair and women are going to be attracted to you. Now, <laughs> why that happens to me, I really don't know, but, but we see it. You know, for you women, there's all those infomercials that happen to be in there. You just take a little cream, put it on your face, and 20 years all of a sudden disappears uh, on, your, uh, uh, on your complexion. And we've all heard them. You know, we've all probably laughed at them and, ch and uh, ch chuckled at them. And here's the thing we were always wondering. I wonder if they can deliver on their promises. And we realize, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the reason why these creams, the reason why these supplements are, no po uh, are not as popular, again, as they could be, is they cannot deliver on their promises. But the reason why I say that is because the Word of God makes fantastic promises, doesn't it? You know, promises of for sins forgiven, promises of a new body, a, a resurrected body that cannot waste away, promise that we're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ again forever, promise again that the heavens and the earth will be remade, recreated. And we realize these are terrific promises. And the thing that we have to ask ourselves is, can God deliver on these promises? Can the word of God be true in all of its phases? And the answer is absolutely yes. You know, all these promises are yea and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we realize that. And the reason why I say that is because of the passage of Scripture that we happen to be looking in in John chapter 14, because Jesus has been making some absolutely otherworldly uh, promises. We realize that he says he's going away, and we realize what that entails, because he's been speaking of it all along, that, he, that his going away happens to be, again, his crucifixion. And he says again, if he goes away, if he goes back to his father, he goes to prepare a place for us, that, that as he prepares his place for us, that we would be with him and we would be eternally with him. You know, and the reason why I say all of that is because there's a promise that we're going to be looking at tonight. And it happens to be in verse number 12, and it's this, it says, truly, truly, otherwise pay attention, I say to you, pay attention, this is absolutely essential. That's what Jesus is saying. It's the amen, amen, amen uh, formula, isn't it? I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to my Father. Now, let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that seems like a difficult verse, doesn't it? 
Because what, what is he talking about, the greater works? You know, the charismatic movement many times will say, well, these are the signs, the wonders that are being done today. But even they have to admit that they do not do the signs and wonders that the Lord Jesus Christ do. You know, another question we have to ask ourselves as we look at this passage of Scripture is, is, is this promise for us? You know, we used to have that children's song, every promise in the book is mine. I will try, I will, I will not go any further than that. Uh, but is, is, is that true? Because there's specific promises that are given to Abraham that are given to no one else. That his posterity is going to be like the sand of the seashore. That one is going to come through his line that is going to be a blessing to all the world. We realize there's promises that are given to David that are not given to other people. That through his line, one, that one would come and sit on the throne forever. So one of the questions we have to ask ourselves even is, is this promise for us? Another thing that we have to realize is that why does the word of God give us promises? Why does Jesus give us promise? And he gives the promise, think of it, because he's telling he's going away. They're discouraged. They're losing heart. They're going to be without their Lord, their master, their teacher, their, their uh, beloved friend. And they realize this. And why he gives them this promises, promises, not only to give them direction, but give them encouragement. And we realize that life is hard. It's full of different pitfalls. It's full, again, of unexpected trials that we never thought we'd go through. It's full, again, of all sorts of suffering and trials and difficulties and temptations that happen to be in our life. And where we find encouragement, where we find direction in the midst of living in this fallen world, is through the promises of God. And so I want you to be encouraged tonight. I want you to be given direction tonight. You know, in the midst of all the trials, in the midst of all the suffering, in the midst, in the midst of all the harshness of living in this fallen world by looking at this promise. And I want us to understand the promise because we can't apply it properly unless we understand it. But then I want us to see how we take this promise and how we truly live in light of it, how we implement it in our life. So... Let's try and understand it, right? It's a difficult promise in one way because we many times rip it from its context. We many times, again, do not look at it long and hard enough. And look at what it says in verse number 12 again. Just read through it and try to think of it. It says this. Um, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong page now. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because... I am going to my Father. Now think about that. What do you think that means? You know, uh, we do these things many times. We read through chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter with the Word of God without slowing down many times and really shaking the branches, really looking at the leaves, really looking at the totality of what happens to be written that we might understand this. And let me tell you, you cannot take any encouragement, you cannot take any direction from this verse unless you know what it means. In fact, if you don't know what it means or you misinterpret it, misunderstand it, it can have disastrous effects that happen to be in your life. Think about it. If you happen to be an invalid that happened to be again in, the, in a wheelchair and all of a sudden you read this verse, and you read about the greater works that will be done. And you might even hear a faith healer who, who many times quotes this verse. You know, the greater works will be done. Just come to this crusade. 
You know, when you go to this healing crusade and you really believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is going to do, Jesus Christ is going to do a greater work that happens to begin in your life. And you're sitting there, you're believing, you're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, but you go home still in that wheelchair. Think of how discouraging that is. Think of again how you would question God. You wonder, did I have enough faith? Or is the word of God true? Are the promises of God, can I really bank on upon them? Think about it. Think about it a little even closer to home. You know, a beloved one that you truly love, maybe even a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, comes down with a terminal diagnosis after going to the doctor. You know, it's cancer. It's all the way through them. And the doctor gives them zero hope, you know, after three months. And what you do is you start galvanizing people to pray. You know, get all the believers that you can think of to pray and pray and pray and pray. And you might even look at this verse and a greater work. And if I can get enough people to pray, then I can do this greater work of God. And you might even get thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It might even branch out from away from your church. But all of a sudden, three months later, your loved one dies. And you look at this verse and you wonder, can I really bank on God? Can I really trust God? Is God really true to his promises? If Jesus Christ is wrong in this promise, what else is he wrong in? Can I really even trust him as the Messiah? So it's absolutely important when we look at this text, when we look at this promise, that we understand this promise. So with all that in mind, I want you to think about it again, because meditate as we read through it one more time. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, and here it is, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And then he says this, and the greater works than these will he do because I'm going to my Father. Now, let me just say this. Some commentators believe that this promise is just given to the disciples. You know, it's just given uh, to them. Uh, the, and uh, during the apostolic uh, period, we have all of these signs and all of these wonders and all of these things that, that were done. And certainly, again, when we look in the Word of God, there's some uh, sameness that happens to be about these miracles. We realize there was healings. We realize, again, various different disease, various different maladies, various different blindness, very different paralysis were healed. But it's very hard to conclude that the disciples, the apostles, actually did greater works than Jesus Christ as far as the miracles, isn't it? Because I, I see none of the disciples walking on water. I see none of the disciples stilling the storms that happen to be again out there. I see none of them uh, 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 multiplying bread again and fish to feed multitudes again of people. So the question we have to ask ourselves, are these really greater works? The other thing that we have to do is we have to look in the text to truly see who the promise is made to. Because look at, look at what it says. It says right here, truly, truly, I say to you, and then he says right after that, whoever believes in me. Do you get that? He doesn't say this. Uh, you disciples, you followers, you 11 that happen to be before me at this time. He says, whoever believes in me, right? Which is a description of those who happen to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He's not talking about super Christians too, as if there is such a thing. He's not talking about, again, if all of a sudden I have an abundant faith, then I'll be able to do these greater works. Like Jesus Christ is talking about. No, when it says, whoever believes in me, 
the rationale, the impetus uh, of doing these greater works is, is this simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a repentant trust in Jesus Christ. In other words, what this promise is, is for every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, hopefully that has whetted your appetite for this big question. What is the greater work? What is this work that Jesus Christ was doing? What is this uh, work that Jesus is still doing through his people that he's talking about? And, and a greater work. You know, and I think a lot of times we have to look and we have to measure greatness the way God measures greatness. Isn't it true? You know, many times we're in love with phenomenon. Many times we're in love with miracles. Many, many times the things that catches our attention happens to be conspiracy theories. You know, all these things are going on. If you put all these things together, look at what happens. And that catches our attention. We look at that many times as spectacular. But what we have to ask ourselves is, what are we going to be praising God for all of eternity? You know, what catches heaven's attention? And Jesus even talked about the angels and what they rejoice of in heaven. And listen to what Luke chapter 15, verse number 10 says. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Isn't it true? I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? And think of it, when the whole throng of God's mighty redeemed are gathered together, what are we praising him for? God, it was incredible what Jesus did as far as healing these individuals, as far as walking on water, as far as stilling storms. No, what we're praising him for is the mighty work of redemption. You know, you have this over in Revelation chapter 5, beginning of verse number 9. It says, worthy are you, speaking to the Lamb, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom, a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And there's this mighty anthem, this mighty orchestra of praise that's offered up to God. And the question we have to ask ourselves, because we realize that this is Jesus, that he, he has purchased our redemption, but how do people come to a saving knowledge of Christ? What is the means that God uses? You know, and we have that, right? We, we have direction that have us be in the word of God, of how we live as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is. Go, therefore, Right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you to do. And behold, I am with you always uh, to the end of this age. We also have it over in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. So what he's talking about, because think of what Jesus came. He came preaching the kingdom. He came preaching repentance. He came preaching uh, to put their faith that happened to be again in him. And what's the greater work that we're involved in? The greater work that we're involved in is preaching Christ and the efficacy of his sacrifice. It's the making and maturing of disciples of the glory of God. And this is absolutely amazing because when you think of it, during the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, there wasn't that many who came to a saving knowledge of Christ who truly trusted him. You know, in fact, in the, be in the beginning of the church on the day of Pentecost, there's only 120 that are gathered together. And I'm not saying there was only 120 that 
truly trust in the Lord Jesus, but there's far fewer than, than we think. But here Peter preaches the first gospel message, and what happens? All of a sudden you have 3,000 that place their faith, that place their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And think of it. Think of how greater this work is because we're talking about millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of individuals who have heard this gospel and responded to this gospel in the last 2,000 years. I mean, it's absolutely amazing, isn't it? You know, and think of it because how do we get involved in this eternal work of God? And he tells us. Right here, right? Right here it is. Here, here it is. Somebody comes to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden they become this testimony of redemption that's found in Jesus, in Jesus alone. That's what he says in the passage, right? All those who believe in me will be involved in this work. You know, you don't have to be, oh, I did quote it, Who, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. It's... It's the work of making and maturing of disciples. It's not saying that we have to be called to be an evangelist, but we're all called to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus and proclaim this great work. The other aspect that's absolutely important that happens to be in this verse is it's buttressed. You know, it's solidified. Something has to happen if we are going to do this great work. And it's right at the end of the, uh, the verse. Because right at the end of the verse, he says, because, right? This is the reason why you will be able to do this good work. Without this, there would be no greater work that is done. And he says this, because I'm going to my father. Now think about that. Because again, I think you have to think through the passage of scripture. Why did Jesus have to go to his father? And we would say, well, he had to bring the blood of the covenant. Well, he had to bring the sacrifice. And we're absolutely right. But really what it's talking about us, it's not just talking about our redemption, but it's talking about us fulfilling this mission that Jesus Christ has given us. And so the question is, why does he have to go back to his father? And I think, again, for two reasons. And one of them is because of the intercessory work of the Lord Jesus Christ, which I think is a forgotten doctrine today. You know, and that's basically Jesus is our high priest. Right? He beseeches the Father on our behalf. Right? He was, he was raised. He's at the right hand of the Father. And he forever makes intercession for the saints. And the reason why you continue on in all of your weakness, and all of us are weak, the reason why we have continued on and followed the Lord Jesus Christ is because of his intercessory work. But not only that, the reason why we are fruitful the reason why there is some sanctification coming out and some witness of the Lord Jesus Christ is because of his intercessory work. I find it absolutely fascinating, encouraging, and humbling, and absolutely bewildering that if you're a believer, get this, that your name has been mentioned between son and father. Doesn't that amaze you? Doesn't that glorify you? that he knows about you, that he intercedes for you personally at the right hand of the Father on high. And that work is going on. That's the reason why we continue on. But the second truth, that's why it was necessary to go back to the Father, is really down in verse number 16. And we'll look at this again in a few weeks. But it says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper 
to be with you forever. In other words, he goes back to the Father to send the Spirit, the other helper, you know, that would be with us for absolute forever. Now, the question becomes many times, well, couldn't the helper come? Couldn't the Holy Spirit come? Couldn't he dwell believers? Couldn't he establish, again, uh, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus was still here, and the answer to that is absolutely yes. But why did he do it? Why did he go back up? And you have to understand how the glory of the triune God really fulfills that. The working out, what we call the economy of God, right? We have three persons, you know, equal in glory, equal in stature, equal again in in being, and and they're one in being, right? Three persons, one being of God. And there's an economy. That's how we can tell the difference between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we look at the Father, he's the great orchestrator. You know, he sends the Son, and he sends the Son, get this, out of love, because he wants the Son to be magnified. He wants the Son to be glorified. He wants to be, the Son to be exalted to his rightful position and people to see his worth. So he sends the Son on the greatest mission that happens to be again poss- uh, possible, and the Son comes. And why does the Son come? He wants to glorify the Father. He wants everyone to see the worth of the Father. And you have that all the way through the book of John. I have come to do the will of the Father. I have come to glorify Him. I have come to magnify Him. And so the Son comes and lays His dead life down as the perfect sacrifice for, the sin, for, the, uh, uh, for our sins, that the Father might be ultimately glorified. And then here it is. The, the Son is raised from the grave. He ascends to the Father. And here it is, Father and Son send the Spirit. And the Spirit comes willingly because he wants all of the attention on the Son and on the Father. He wants the Father to be magnified, to be glorified. And here's the amazing thing that happens to me again about all of that. Here it is, this eternal praise that's going to go to this triune God above. He has given us the dignity of being involved in his eternal program. Now, I find that fascinating because that tells me beyond a shadow of a doubt, my life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has purpose and worth in the here and now. It really does. You know, and I want to talk just a few minutes about how we implement this promise that happens to begin in our life because it's so important. And, and let me say this uh, Uh, When you consider this verse, you know, the first thing to understand that it's still Jesus Christ doing the work, isn't he? He's working through us to manifest, to do this greater work. And we realize that. And the other thing that we have to keep in mind, we always have to keep this in mind because we want to go in this direction, we want to go in that direction, we want to make life about this. That the greater work is not building bigger buildings. It's not having all of a sudden, again, greater wealth or greater budgets to happen to begin in the church. It's not about anything that happens to be there. It is about the making and maturing of disciples for the glory of God. And realize that this work, beyond a shadow of a doubt, will last for all of eternity. It's absolutely amazing. So the question becomes... How do I do this greater work? You know, how how do I implement this promise? How do I live in light of this great promise that God has given us? 
And let me name four things really quickly. Well, sort of quickly. The first one will be the quickest. And the first one is just basically this. You need to believe on Jesus Christ. Right? You need to be a believer. You need to trust in him. I mean, think about it. If your love that happens to be again in the world, why would you ever be involved in the making and maturing of disciples for the glory of God? Right? This is a task. This is a privilege. This is a promise that's given to those who are the household of faith, that we might be involved in this, right? The second thing that we have to realize, and the second way that we implement this promise that happens to be again in, in our lives is right in the next verse. And let me just say, say, say this. We're going to go through a few verses, but we're going to take our time through this passage of Scripture. So we are going to come back to it. But look at what it says in the next verse. It says, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And again, we'll talk about that next time we're together and really explain that first. But you at least see the context, don't you? The context of asking something of the uh, of God the Father through the Son is this greater work that will be done. And we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt we're to put effort. We're, we're to be intentional in giving the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also realize beyond a shadow of a doubt our impotence. Right? That's why we come to God. There's things that we can do, but there's things, oh, that we cannot do. You cannot change a leopard's spots. You cannot change the Ethiopian skin. You cannot take a rock and make it flesh. Right? And so what prayer is, prayer is a language of dependence. And here it's a language of dependence upon my God. Right? So we pray for our community. We pray for our church that we might be a gospel witness. We pray that God would send more laborers into the harvest field, you know, to make known the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for individuals, and we bring certain individuals that God has brought in our path, and we bring them before the throne of grace, and we pray to God, God save this person. Let me be that instrument of grace in their life that they might come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But let me ask you this. In all honesty, do you pray to God? And more specifically, do you pray for those who are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you ever pray for the church's testimony, that it might be a gospel testimony? Do you ever pray for other brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be a gospel testimony? Do you ever pray for our missionaries? You know, do you ever pray, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God would give you the strength, God would give you the courage, God would give you the ability to proclaim Jesus Christ? Maybe this individual, that individual. Do you ever pray for these individuals? God, please open their heart. Please take these words. Please take this gospel and open their heart. Because I think one of the great tragedies of the modern church is a failure to pray. You know, there's a failure to really rely on our Lord Jesus Christ in this matter of what he can do, but what we cannot do. And that is to open the heart of those who happen to be again around us. But there is a third way that we live in light of this greater work that's done and implement this promise that happens to be again in our life. And that is, again, through loving obedience of the Lord Jesus. Because you also read that in verse number 15, because look at, listen to what it says, and he says, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. And think about that, because that's not a hard verse, is it? You know, it's really not a hard verse. If you love Jesus Christ, you will keep his commandments. Now, it's different, right? If you're a parent and your child starts instructing you, starts commanding you, right? Right, I want you to go to bed at this time. I want you to let me stay up late. Or whatever it happened to be, you're not going to listen to them. And why? Because there's a structure there, right? Here's the parent, right? And here's the child. They submit to the parent. Well, that's the same with us before God, isn't it? We realize Jesus Christ is our king. He is our Lord. And so there's a structure there. And here we are here. And so if we truly love the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is. We will obey him. We will love him. That's how you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Your children come in and they want to please you. They want to love you. And they submit to your authority. That's a sign of love, isn't it? And we realize that. And so when you look at this loving obedience, you know, it's basically found in two ways. And one way that we love Christ here in the context and carry out this greater work of the Lord Jesus Christ is by verbalizing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Now think about that. Does verbalizing, speaking forth the gospel to someone who is unsaved, does that scare you? And I think many times the reason why we do not truly make known Jesus Christ is because we're more scared of what people will think, what people will do. You know, we're more scared of that than we truly love the Lord Jesus. Because I know we know this. This is just routine. But, but we know this, right? The only way somebody is saved through, through the power of God, I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. But God uses means, doesn't he? And one of the means is prayer, right? That he uses. The other means that he uses is the articulation of the gospel. And if there's no prayer, and here it is, no articulation of the gospel, guess what happens? No one comes to a saving knowledge of Christ. Right? And we have this in the word of God. In Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17, he says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the what? The word of Christ. Where does faith come from? It comes from an articulation of the gospel. And that's why we have that command, right? It is a command. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Right? It's a command. We're to go and truly make much of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking of his saving efficacy. That's why Romans chapter 10 and verse number 15 says this, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then it says this, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now think about that. Why are the feet so beautiful? And we would say because they articulate the gospel. Well, why is that so significant? Because it's through the gospel that God brings people who will praise Jesus Christ and sing of his worth for all of eternity. What can be more beautiful than that? It's all about his glory. And there's another aspect of obedience. And the other aspect of obedience is not only, again, here it is, not only do we verbalize the gospel, but we live out the gospel. There's a quality of our life. There's a holiness that happened to begin of our life because there's a very big um, movement in Christianity that we have to live like the culture in order to, here it is, engage the culture. And I really think that's an excuse for unholy living. You know, the way that we buttress what we say about the Lord Jesus Christ is how we live. 
how we function, that we live differently. Why? Because there is a greater love, a greater Lord that happens to begin in each one of our lives. In other words, it validates the message that we preach. But let me just give a fourth one really quickly. And the fourth, again, aspect, again, of how we live in light of this promise is, first of all, again, we have to be believers. Secondly, again, we have to uh, be engaged in prayer, be engaged in preaching of God's word. And the fourth thing is an absolute reliance on the Holy Spirit of God to do what I cannot do. Isn't it true? You know, there's a reliance on God the Spirit to take his word and make it effective in the hearts of those who are lost. I can't do that. I can articulate that message, but it's like preaching to a corpse unless God is there. You know, and you see this in verse number 16 again, and he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, right? Another helper like Jesus Christ, and here it is, to be with you forever. And I love what Richard Phillips writes about this, because he writes about the Spirit's work in our life, and he says this, this, this simple fact of God the Father sending the Spirit, of Jesus Christ, of him coming in the power of the Father and the Spirit, he says this simple fact changes everything for us. Can any of us believe that our preaching of the gospel will succeed in gaining someone a new nature so that he or she is born again to faith in eternal life? And this is a conclusion. Certainly not. But if Christ will send the Holy Spirit to exert his power from heaven, we can offer our feeble witness to the lost. This is what else he says. In a difficult marriage. Can we persevere in faithful love, believing that it will change the attitude of our spouse? And here's the answer. The answer is no. Why? Since people never really change. But what if Christ will send the Holy Spirit who can change the heart? He says, do we have enough love for Jesus to say no to long-cherished sins so that through our obedience, others will be inspired to trust in Christ. And here's his conclusion. No, none of us really possess, possess a sufficient love for that or enough power to overcome our temptations. But what if Jesus has promised to send the Spirit? What if our departed Lord has commissioned a helper to give divine aid to our feeble faith? That changes everything so that Christ's promise will be found to be true in us. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Isn't it amazing? Think of the greater works that are done in the name of the Lord. The amazing thing about the miracles, all the signs and all the wonders that our Lord did, all the signs, all the wonders that the apostles did, is they only had a limited value, right? right? You might have given blind eyes the ability to see, but one day, one day those eyes would shut and they wouldn't open. You might give legs that were impaired, again, the ability to leap, the ability to run, the ability to dance, but one day those legs would lay in a grave. He might resurrect certain from the grave and give them life, but one day they would go back in the grave. And when you look at the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ, they all had a limited value. But not with the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. 
You know, our world many times tries to look for things that are newsworthy. And somebody coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is just not that newsworthy. But think of heaven. Think of the glory of heaven. Think of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But because what is done here on earth will enter into eternal praise forever and ever and ever of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think all of us try to look for significance in life. And the greatest significance that we can have is to live in light of this promise in the making and maturing of disciples for the eternal glory of our great God. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, as we consider this promise tonight, it's absolutely incredible, Lord, that you would use our feeble efforts, our stumbling words, Lord, even our zeal, that you might be eternally glorified. We realize that you don't need us, but Lord, you've given us the dignity. You've given us, again, so much purpose in this life in rearing kids, Lord, in befriending those who happen to be at work or across the fence in our neighborhoods. Lord, you've given us the dignity to be involved in an eternal program in which the Father, the Son, and the Spirit will be eternally, eternally glorified for all, Lord, forever and ever. And we just ask, God, that we would see in light of this, Lord, so much encouragement that our efforts here on earth for this limited time do mean something. Lord, that we would encourage our hearts in the midst of struggle. Lord, that we would seek to be witnesses, that we would seek to be verbal testimonies of the Lord Jesus Christ, even during these times, realizing that you have chosen to use our prayers. You have chosen to use our efforts to reach those who happen to be around us. We thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for your grace. It truly is amazing. Just be with us now in Christ's name. Amen.